Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Now. Welcome to another exciting episode of uh, SFP Now here on Sci-Fi Pulse Radio, which is a part of SciFiPulse.net. Um, with me here today, as uh, as normal, is um, our co-host uh, Ben Ben Cassidy. Uh, but joining us also is um, writer and producer um, James Hurth. I'm hoping I've got that pronunciation right. And That's very good. And. Um, Acclaimed and celebrated comic book artist uh, Kev Hopgood. So, guys, Hi. welcome to the show. Thank you. Okay. Well, you know, we're going to get the show underway with first with really um, kind of like, like a discussion about uh, about superheroes and how well they're translated into movies and TV. Um, and I'm just wondering, have you guys been watching any of the uh, Marvel stuff and DC stuff that's been oh, on? <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, I was watching WandaVision, really enjoyed. Ah, well, WandaVision, yeah, WandaVision's something that I think everyone on the planet's been watching. <laughs> um, what, Indeed, yeah. What, what did you guys think of the ending? Because we, we were going to have this discussion anyway, eventually, uh, weren't, weren't we, Ben? Yeah, we were, yeah, definitely. Maybe. We're going to do a pick-up from last Thursday, was it, we recorded it? Yeah, we recorded the we recorded our last episode on Thursday of last week, so we, we kind of couldn't right. talk about the finale. But I figure as soon, as soon as you guys are here and you've probably seen it, we, we can do that now, if you guys are up for that. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Sure. Okay, well, what, what do you guys... Yeah. I just... Go on. Go on, Kevin. It's okay. Well, I was, I was, uh, my son was really keen on it as well, but he, the ending really confused him, just because he didn't know the agonist, Agatha Hartness character at all. He didn't do a great deal to introduce her, I don't think. Use a mind while I'm Yeah, for me, I would have a question. It's because uh, I was unfamiliar with Agatha's character as well. And so it was an interesting, I mean, it was a great little uh, bit they did with the Agatha All Along um, theme song, which, of course, you know, everyone has to download <laughs> and have on there. You know, keep on the uh, radio as they're walking along. But uh, so it was a surprise. And my question is, and then maybe you guys have a better analysis of, you know, did is your notion that Agatha picked up on Wanda having created this universe and was drawn to this place? Because I don't understand how she interacted if Wanda was creating it. Any thoughts? It wasn't really explained, was it? Really? It wasn't. I, I just think she just happened to be in the right place at the right time, and and that's how they kind of done it, isn't it, really? Because you know, it was only it only started off as a small town, didn't it? Actually. That that she sort of like right. converted. Um, for me, uh, I'm I'm very engaged in the you know the the cinematic universe, the Marvel cinematic universe. I've kind of 
been involved watching that whole thing over the last 10 years or whatever it's been, and as well as uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff like that, and even the, the Carter, Agent Carter series. So it's neat to see. I think they do a great job of sort of weaving everything together. And as I read things online, you know, in Sci-Fi Pulse and similar, I get more perspective of comic-savvy people who seem to feel as though they're doing a decent job incorporating comic storylines into the movies. Um, do you guys feel that there's satisfaction that they're having a respectful notion of those things and bringing them along? I mean, I, I think so, but I've got to admit, I wasn't really a big comics guy until about three, maybe four years ago. Um, when I started reading lots of DC stuff and lots of Marvel stuff and, 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 and stuff like that, because what kind of happened is our comics reviewer stepped down after about so like five, six years, and that I ended up taking it over. So I've kind of been learning stuff as I go. So as I went into the Marvel movies in 2008, I, I had a, a little knowledge, you know, because I'd, I'd, I'd vaguely been aware of the characters and read, read about them in the past, as well as reading sort of UK stuff, such as Dan Dare, 2000 AD, um, and, and all, all of that stuff. Um, but I didn't know, I, I don't really know the characters in depth. I mean, like, I didn't really know who Scarlet Witch was, for example, until the Avengers movie came along and introduced her. Um, I hadn't really been that familiar with Vision um, and how he came about through, through Ultron and, and all that. So I think the movies have done a great job of introducing it uh, to people that otherwise wouldn't, you know, wouldn't maybe have necessarily picked up on the characters in the comics. You know, mm-hmm. aside from the obvious cultural ones that everyone's heard of and seen. Yeah, I've done a really good job of um, making the movies so that all wives and girlfriends can also enjoy them. <laughs> 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 yeah. I, I thought, of, I, when they announced Guardians Galaxy, I thought, oh, this could bomb because no one knows characters really. But it's actually one of the best ones, I think. I, I, I agree. I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I just wasn't so keen on Guardians of the Galaxy 2. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's any film with a number in you. <laughs> it's certainly hard to, to keep up a thing. It was so fresh and original, incorporating that uh, like the 70s, late 70s music and the, the tone. I love the comedy tone. I didn't like um, Thor in his first few iterations, but by the time they were in Ragnarok and the tone had action comedy, that for me as a viewer, um, that's something that I really responded to. Say again? It's the whole I work with him. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's exactly, it was great, great fun. And and, uh, I, I like not just things that are just completely dark, but especially uh, a, a quirky tone in the Guardians and, and now Thor uh, have that vibe. Um, Kev, you know, you are, uh, if I can just ask you a question, it's like, do you, uh, things like Scarlet Witch and Spirit, uh, not Spirit uh, did you ever use those characters in your work? Did they ever cross over Nathan, that you did art for. Yeah, there was one storyline on Iron Man. Um, I think it's all like that. I started the way through my run. And they basically, 
they got all the West Coast Avengers characters in, so what what's all those guys? It's quite mm-hmm. fun. They also, so also had have... some um, strange some strange tie-ins with um over the names of characters. All characters I wanted to keep on, you know, uh, to try and make them look cool. Yeah, so one yeah. character had bubbles sort of coming out of him and he's bounce around and thought, this is character, this is just stupid. <laughs> what do I know? <laughs> I guess it's hard to come up with a certain amount of uh, superpowers after a while. Yeah, all the good ones are used up, and you and you return to bubbles. I guess. Mm. Well, one of the things I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to the second Doctor Strange movie um, because the. Uh, oh I, yeah, I, I enjoyed. I believe One Division um, is going to tie in a little bit with that. Oh, okay. Um, from from what I've heard, you know, various rumors, but you know. Well, then again, I think they're all going to connect up anyway because we've got um, Falcon Winter Soldier next, and then it's Loki, yeah, and 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 all that, that stuff. Next so. week, right? Yep, Falcon. Yeah. yeah, as Ben's just pointed out, Falcon Winter Soldier. It starts a uh, week on Friday, so not this week, but yeah, next week. Apparently, War Machine's going to be making a cameo as well. Who's going to make a cameo? War Machine's going to be in the Winter Soldier. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, a brief appearance. Okay, because they're probably going to then link that over to Armor Wars. When, when you exactly. see Kev, when you see that, do you do you have attachment to it, Kev? Oh, do you ever feel like do you ever feel like oh that's not right or they're they're not doing that as well as I would represent? No, I, I was really when I first saw him in was what was he Iron Man one or Iron Man two? What the first Iron Man movie where he appeared? Yeah, this is exactly how I imagined it. Right. Mm. Yeah, guys walking tank, you know, they got that straight from there. <laughs> the walking tank concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go, going a bit, bit sort of like sideways uh, to another comic book character that's um, not done anything with him in a while. Um, and I'm discounting the 2009 sci fi channel series that they did. Um, they, I, I believe that there's actually been a bit more movement on the Flash Garden movie in, in, in recent months. Um, <laughs> So, you know, and that's something that's been in production hell since about 2004, I think. Can they do without Brian Blessed, though? <laughs> Jive. <laughs> exactly. Bye, Baron. Yeah. I, mean, I, I reckon probably ben could, do, uh, ben, ben could do the Brian Blessed bit. Yeah. Ben, yeah. are you willing? I met him at comic, a comic convention last year, and um, just what a guy, Brian Blessed, is just absolute... <laughs> Inspiration and um, it's actually the 40th anniversary this year, isn't it? Flash Gordon, you know. That thing you made, that was last year. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, sorry, in 2021 now, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> which is a shame because he was, he was, I was talking to him and he was telling me that they had loads of things planned and unfortunately it just didn't happen, you know. But yeah. um, it would be interesting to see something else because you know he's a really interesting sort of character, Flash Gordon. I I was uh, the fact that it's the 40th anniversary is painful to me because I remember seeing it in the theaters. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also when I was a kid at the library, that was one of the uh, like they would have um, like I mean I wouldn't call it a trade paperback. I actually think it was like a hard copy, but they would have a collection of the strips, um, and I just love the style of uh, you know the the spaceships and the ray guns and, and, and things like that. Um, as an artist, Cab, do you, do you have any like affection for that sort of, I don't even know what you would call it, uh, that style of... 50s guy, isn't it? Yeah. 
I mean, I, yeah. I thought the original, Sorry. I thought the original Raymond strips were really good. You know, they're, they're actually painted. Um, you know, we painted yes, them. Indeed, yeah. It's yeah. Really, really nicely done. Um, I've got got one of the uh, one of the one of his books somewhere knocking about here, where it's, it's just absolutely beautiful. To, to look at, you know, how it's reproduced and, and everything's so intricate and, and um, you know, very, very, a very different style of art to, to anything you'd see now. Indeed, Do you, are you under the impression that they're going to try to imitate that sort of mid-century space age notion or with a current version or are they going to do like your updated sort of like your Dark Knight Batman version? Oh, God, I'm hoping I'm hoping to go with a mid mid twentieth century approach. Um, yeah, you know it, it'd actually be quite fun for them to actually set it in the nineteen thirties, but do a twenty first century version nineteen thirties. You know, given the technology yeah. we have got now versus the technology we had back when it came came out initially in nineteen nineteen thirty four. I think uh, Raymond created the character. And then you had nineteen thirty five. They did the first radio plays and the first. Uh, the crab thing was 1936 sort of thing and uh, a really fun fact for you is um the in the 1950s they did do a series of flash garden which was firm, filmed in berlin after the war and um, and it was filmed in the ruins of berlin you know it was all bombed still um and the guy that they had playing flash garden was called steve rogers you know? so <laughs> how about that for funny <laughs> Yeah, everything's connected. <laughs> multiverse, one is the multiverse. Um. Yeah, so yeah, that's right. I understand you do that, Steve Rogers, on purpose. I don't know. What's that? I wonder if Stanley knew that the guy was called Steve Rogers, and oh, I love that Captain America. Yeah. No, because it's I think I think Captain America was created in what? I think Captain America was created in '39, wasn't he? Probably about that. About, I think it was yeah. probably just after, yeah. So, so maybe the guy that was called Steve Rogers was named after after the Captain America character. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or he changed I his name. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's interesting about sort of Flash Gordon to tie it into sort of like, for example, like the MCU, which is a massive franchise. If they do make another film. I sort of hope that they stick to a very simple formula and just have a fun action adventure because that's why Flash Gordon works. I think that's what people want. And that formula, for example, in Thor Ragnarok, I still feel that that film is influencing things today. And in some circles, it's laughed at a little bit, the 1980 movie. But it was a groundbreaking film in a lot of ways, you know? Um, it really was, like, the way that the fight looked and stuff like that. And a relatively small budget, it's... Um, it's had a massive, massive sort of say in, 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 in loads of stuff. And I think they used a similar formula for Thor Ragnarok as Flash Gordon and they wanted a fast-paced sort of action type of film like um, you were saying, James, you know? Yeah, that, that's, that's the kind of thing that appeals to me. It feels like that's a modern vibe. It would be cool to have that tone and then you'd have your, your 1930s or, or mid-century sort of style. I would enjoy, I don't know if... Uh, if it would appeal to the youth, um, 
I don't, you know, uh, I don't have kids, so I don't know, you know, but Kev, if you, if you, your kids would sit there and say, oh, I'd like to see a, a rocket ship that, you know, looks like it has a little point at the end and, uh, you know, sort of ray guns with little uh, circles around, little saucers and things like that. Do you think that would appeal to the next generation as much as it would me? Kev, do you think that's something that you're... Uh, <laughs> Your family would like, or would they no, look at that and think it's old-fashioned? I really fashion? enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that um, John Carter Mars film. It didn't find an audience at all. You know, I, I thought it was a really good version of the Jurassic books. But um, uh, yeah, I, I used to, I used to yeah, eat those things. You know, just read them all the time. Generation kids do. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's sort of a. Both of those things are sort of in the in the pulp character type thing, Ian, that you were talking about, your John Carter of Mars and all those um, those sort of pulp uh, books that they started and were hugely popular. Um, it's interesting to see some of them trying to, to, to hit the market. It's weird that that, that just fell, fell apart, the John Carter. I think it was uh, the marketing of John Carter of Mars. So I think Disney just marketed the thing entirely wrong. <laughs> You know, yeah. Um, but there's a lot. I, I'm big. I'm I'm big like Ben, as in you know, and uh, Kev, as in that. I really enjoyed the John Carter film as well. And um, I've never really read the John Carter books, but I've read the Tarzan books um, yeah. along with all mm-hmm. the racist stuff that was in them as well, because uh, can't can yeah. time more written. Um, it was still using a lot of uh, a lot of the very obvious racist tropes that 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 would no longer be used now. Um, right. But what was fun about the Tarzan books is he he, he time tra- he went through time portals and thought dinosaurs for God's sake. And we've never seen a film yeah. of Tarzan where he's doing that. <laughs> there, there was uh, Rhonda Smiley who who co-wrote um, Blowback. She uh, worked on a syndicated version of Tarzan. There was a couple in that were on at the same time in the late nineties, and um, uh, her version or the version that she worked on was um was called uh, the the epic adventures of tarzan and they they touched on a little of the sort of sci-fi components that you're talking about is that the one um, is that the one with joe lara and, uh, say again is that the one with joe lara in the yes it was joe lara yeah. yeah so Rhonda was a, a story editor a co-producer on that one they shot that in south africa and they did sci-fi sort of uh storylines yeah, they did some, try. Some say. They did try on that one. I, I do remember seeing it. Yeah, but yeah. They, you know, you'd think that you know a couple of years ago they did the one with uh, the guy out of a uh, out of out of a uh, True Blood, the guy that played Eric out of True Blood, uh, a couple okay. of years ago, and they had Sam L. Jackson in it. Um, he was playing an actual real person that did exist back then, um, and that was very sort of like grounded. You know, because I think they've kind of based it more on the um, on on the Greystoke Tars and you know the you know from the original sort of like novel. Um, but I'd love to see them do something on a, on a bigger scale on 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 film in in cinema. Yeah, because it's so like it's some it's something that deserves to be looked at. I think. Um, you know, in terms of the uh, pulp. I mean, I'm 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 into my pulp characters as well as, well as my comic characters. I mean, I, I've read Doc Savage books and. You know the shadow and and things like that. So I'm kind of like a, I think I've got quite a broad broad taste in in comics yeah. and stuff. 
Um, but, you know, you mentioned blowback. Um, should we move things on to talk about blowback? Because it's all like it's um, what, what we're here to Happy talk to about. Um, I mean, I've um, noted down a few questions for you guys, um, as always. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'd like to first start off by saying that both Ben and myself really enjoyed the book. Um, Thank you, you know, so much. We, yeah, cool. we, we enjoyed the story and thought the art worked really well with, with, with the story and, and vice versa, you know, sort of like... But it was just a, it was just a really, really good book. Um, he enjoyed all the, uh, you know, the, the time travel element and, and everything like that. Um, but I think the first question I'd like to, like to ask you, James, when, when, when did you guys first come up with the idea for Blowback and where, where did the title come from? Oh, it's funny. The, the originally, you know, I've had a fascination with, you know, what I like to call like, you know, anachronisms or, or things that are out of time or, or things crossing over in time. Um, back in the early eighties, there was a movie called the final countdown, which was, uh, uh, an aircraft carrier going to Pearl Harbor, um, briefly. And, it was only there for a short period of time. And I think even back then when I was a kid, I was like, Oh, but I want them to stay there and, and see how they interact uh, more long-term with that sort of environment. And then I also talk about things about time bandits where, um, you know, all the time bandits that, you know, they were in different, um, they had armor and weapons and clothes from all different times, the whole group. Like somebody might have a Greek uh, thing. Somebody might have a World War One sort of helmet, you know, Wally and Og and Randall and all these uh, these characters that I really embraced and loved. And so the, the cross notion was a strong one. So, like, I think by the time it, it was the 90s uh, started coming up with an idea and uh, – you know, had other writer friends and we would talk about ideas and things like that. And then when Rhonda and I tried to be more specific about, you know, actually make a script uh, of this story and uh, and follow it through to the end. And and it was originally a, a film script. And um, and one of the things that you think of as uh, a writer um, writing spec scripts and things like that is you want to see a finished product, you know, it, it's hard to get obviously movie made and something like this, which is probably like, you know, a $200 million movie is not something that I can put on my credit card. Um, <laughs> not yet, you know, maybe in a few years. Um, so, so it was exciting to think about doing something on uh, in a comic or a graphic novel. We had writers that we worked with on television shows. Um, Adam Beechin is one of the primary ones who also had a career as a comics writer and talked to him and talked about those methods and started reading um, about how to translate it well because it's a different medium and it has different uh, uh, strengths and weaknesses and, you know, just kind of learning. We did a lot of learning about uh, things like turning the page for surprises and things like that, which were a little alien for us. Um, and then when we finally had it in this sort of format where we thought we had a, uh, a graphic novel script, you know, to look for an artist who could bring it to life. And, you know, Kev's uh, first of all, I, you know, I was like, you know, uh, an artist in high school, if you will, you know, an amateur kid like most people. And I had made a comic book um, 
So I've always been fascinated and thrilled to see professionals who have such an amazing level of art. Uh, you were talking, uh, Ian, about um, seeing uh, the Flash Gordon uh, that like practically painted the books. Mm -hmm. um, when we looked at Kev's work, and uh, one of the things that was most most exciting to me is you would have your high tech sort of you know, military in um, your action force, the G.I. Joe action force sort of stuff. He had um, high tech stuff in terms of Iron Man War Machine. And then, Kev, you had uh, like a project um, uh, called Lawless, right? That was like where you had horses and, and swords. And, That's right, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, oh, this is a guy that has uh, an ability and experience doing all these sorts of disparate elements. He just seemed like the perfect artist that could bring all these time periods together into one thing. So it was a thrill when he was up for uh, coming on board and looking at the work that we would get, you know, he's in, in England and we're here in uh, L.A. and you, know, you get an email of, of uh, a layout or a pencil. And it was just, I mean, as an amateur, it's just amazing. And like, you know, when you have an image and you can blow it up on your computer, you take one panel and then you make it the full size of your screen. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. So, so, you know, Kev, thank you for your ability and <laughs> the magic that you put into those panels. It's, it's so amazing to me. And it was such a thrill to have a final product that this is the end uh, the end product, whereas the script, as they say, is the blueprint for something else. This book, you know, with, with our words and, and Kevin's pictures and then um, Charlie Kirchhoff's color, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an end result. And it's, I don't know, it's a thrill. I'm sorry. I went on for a while there, uh, but it's a very cool experience. No, no it's fine. You know, you know I, I actually remember the final countdown. Uh, I think it was, was it James Francisco who was in it? And uh, it was also Martin Sheen. I think yes, yeah. yes. Um, I, I remember that film. It's a, yes. it's, it's one that we played to death in the eighties. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it's funny what you said about uh, you know about 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 the characters and and everything. You know how how you, how, you, how how did you go about developing them? Because one one of the things that. Uh, that I know Ben was really, really intrigued by uh, with, with, with the characterizations, weren't you, Ben? He was quite, quite taken with the, uh, with, with, with the various interactions and characters within the book. Loads of them, are, yeah. Um, I think primarily uh, what I really enjoyed is, as I was saying about what I miss about what I miss, what I think is great about pulp sort of heroes is there's a great escapism, and in the modern age, you know, there's so much focus on, on representation and character development and stuff like that. And that's important. Of course it is. Um, but I think what's great about these stories from like the twenties, the shadow and all stuff like that, it's just sheer adventure and escapism. And I really got that. And there was certain character development within it. Um, I really liked the sort of character who was masquerading as a boy. And I thought that was a great way to get a strong female character in that, that really, really worked. Um, I remember like, the stuff about, you know, the lead hero's family. Um, and it was sort of simple ideas, but done really, 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 really well, you know? Um, and I thought, I don't know, I just thought it worked really well. And it's something that um, if there was another one of it, I would definitely order it and read it, you know, and encourage other people <laughs> to. Go on, Rina. 
And, and also, um, you know, to, to, to add to what Ben says, uh, yeah, the uh, characterization of the of the young woman um, who was posing as a boy, that was cleverly done. Uh, I just love the fact that the other characters said, yeah, I knew she was, I, I knew that, that, I knew that they were into each other sort of thing. <laughs> and, and I like the way that was done because there was absolutely no comment about being a girl. It was just the fact that they, they, they knew that those two were into each other. Yeah. And, uh, you, I think for us, and it was funny, you know, with working with one of the things that was exciting, uh, working with Kev is, is creating those characters in, in, in the flesh, if you will, you know, where Rhonda and I would might develop, you know, what, what their storyline is or, or their backstory, you know, to try and have a character that looks, um, that you don't tip off too early. Um, even if some people might suspect something, but we, you know, we feel, you know, that, you know, we, we are a live and let live sort of philosophy. So you want that to come across in your work and, you know, one of the things maybe as uh, an adult in the world, I think, is to be more uh, cognizant of different people from different cultures, different races, uh, different genders, um, uh, different orientations, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I, I know some people have a problem with that, which is unfortunate. But if you can just have that stuff as a uh, it just a happenstance in like Ben, you were saying like uh, in an adventure, it's like, it's not about, it's not about someone who might be uh, a Latino or uh, black or, you know, Asian. It, they just are in the story. Know, like, just, yeah. It's not tokenistic. And I think that's the point is that sometimes you feel browbeaten, you know, action and adventure is one genre and drama is another. If I want to watch something where it does focus on someone's identity specifically, and how they get on in a world full of prejudices and white privilege and things like that, right. um, then I watch a drama, for example. But as you say with this, what I really loved is the fact that, you know, that they're just strong characters that happen to be of a minority or whatever else. And I think that's that works much better when it's subtle. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I, and I like, I mean, I personally, you know, uh, Rhonda does a lot of the heavy lifting when it comes to characterization. That's, that's something she really embraces. And one of the things of having um, collaborators um, in art and color, as well as in writing is, um, people who have strengths that, that match your strengths, uh, or, you know, that, that complement rather your strengths. And, um, as much as Rhonda is excellent at action, she is very, uh, big on having, uh, you know, people that are real, but in this environment, you don't go too deep into it. It's just not that sort of thing. It's not the drama, Ben, like you're saying, this is an action film or an action film It's an action, uh, book. And that's the paramount thing. And you want those other things to provide richness, um, and, you know, touch on things without being the forefront of the story. Um, and you know, that's, that's a cool part of it. Um, yeah, definitely. It was great. I mean, like, sorry to interrupt you, by the way. No. Um, apologies for that. I just, I think like the main guy in it as well, there was a lot of sort of subtle things. We all know that like everybody knows that guys have emotions and that they're not this thing, but he was a product of the real world and people of a certain age, you know, he was a real character that you could relate to and he did put on a front because that's what a lot of people live like and there's no point pretending that people don't have to wear certain masks for society or whatever. 
And we saw underneath that how much he loves his family and stuff like that. And again, those little subtle things, I think that's the material that gets really important parts of representation across, you know, such as male fragility and things in a better way than being browbeaten over the head saying, look at this, this is important, you know, and at the expense of the story. Like, right, putting yeah. a spotlight and an arrow uh, to it necessarily. Yeah, it's subtle. You know, when fiction works on a subtle level. You know, people sort of represent, the best representation always sort of works. You, you don't need to give too much to you, just enough, you know. Right. Yeah, it, it, it was nice. I mean, this is also part of the, that was new to me, is having those words on the paper and you get those images back. Um, like, you know, where Kev has given the, an expression that matches what you had in your head mm-hmm. and what is the tone of that emotion. Um, you know, Kev, you're, you're a writer as well as an artist. So, do, you know, does that help you in t- to visualize when you're reading somebody's script and creating an image? You know, d- does being the writer help you project how that would be expressed? Um, I, I would hope so. I hope I can make, make the best of any script I'm getting, you know. Um, um, yeah, I, I, would, I would say it sort of feeds into it, I think, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's it's cool um, to be able I, – I, I just, I'm, I'm, just, I, I, I'm amazed at the whole concept. I am amazed at the people that have these skills, and I am thrilled when they come together um, – uh, and and tell a story and 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 you know you guys are very complimentary um, Ian and Ben and we certainly appreciate that and it's always a thrill when somebody seems to be receptive to your idea and appreciate think you're never going to please everyone or everyone's not going to like everything but if there's you know certain things that really reach somebody or they enjoy um, that's a thrill for me and you know wanting to tell more stories like this if we get the opportunity um is is also something that's exciting you know when when you when you're for me i sort of project to another a sequel to things you know that's just sort of the way that i think generally and and there are stories that don't lend themselves to that but you know when you think about uh books or a mini series or you know when you have a, a monthly that that gets put together uh in a trade paperback it's like all of these you're thinking in in that first book and maybe setting the stage for something that might happen in book seven you know mm-hmm. it's just it's just a fun thing to create a world and and the hope is that you get another opportunity to dip into that and if not at least you know some people appreciate that world that you created well, this is a Sorry, Ben. Um, sorry, I was just going to say, I thought like it could be, it could be a unit. You know, I don't know. I felt like very easily once they mastered the technology, they could sort of like go on missions through time and stuff. And I thought the plot device itself is a really cool one, and it was well done. Sorry, go on. I'm just quite passionate about this story. <laughs> yes, I really enjoyed it. Uh, apologies for interrupting you. Ian. Go on, mate. <laughs> it's it's okay, mate. Um, what what I was going to say, I was going to pick up on um, on on what you said before about it originally being a movie script. Um, I will say this, and this is a you know probably you know as much of a compliment to the work that Kev did as well as yourself, Jim and, and Rhonda. But it actually felt very much like a movie when I was reading it. You know, I you know so like normally if I pick up a graphic novel, I'll probably read it in two sittings. I just sat. I, I read this one in one sitting. Yeah. And, <laughs> That's uh, that's awesome. Uh, I 
you know, when there's all sorts of different books, it's interesting because, you know, I know that there's uh, comics and books like uh, Ghost World that I've, you know, seen and heard where you just have people that are just having experiences and they're, they're smaller scale and emotional and more grounded in reality. But for, I think, Rhonda and I, we wanted something that was was big, that was dramatic. You know, um, again, taking some of those panels that Kev has created and blowing them up so that they're my, you know, uh, the background on my computer, um, the amount of detail and care that goes into them um, is just so exciting and, and sort of a scale, you know, it's a, we, in our head, it's like a big scale of things, you know, and, and a movie like um, certainly is appealing if it comes across as a story that you want to keep turning and it has a scale that that feels big and adventurous and all that kind of thing is a thrill to me. I know that some people, um, I know there are some maybe comic purists that don't like the notion of a book being a movie uh they they prefer it's like this is a book and that's what it you know that's what you should look at it as but it's like our imaginations even if you're reading a novel that's just words you know you 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 blow all that up into the world that those words convey and so here when you have visuals and you have you know a giant a british destroyer with sails uh, suddenly storming towards you it's like that's uh, cinematic, cinematic images uh, to me are just sort of dramatic and epic. And I, I like that um, the story lent itself to those and that when we got that art from Kev, it, it executed on those ideas. They were delivered, you know, it's a yeah. thrill. Uh, I'd like to throw one Kev's way at the moment. Um, Kev, what what was your favourite aspect of working on a book? Was there was there a specific set of panels that you really enjoyed, you know, doing in in the book? Well, there's the big epic ones are always fun, you know. The big big reveals of the ships were quite cool to draw. Fight scenes are cool to draw. Also, I enjoy some of the sort of the relationships as well because you get to play with emotions and sort of try and capture emotions on the faces and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I was going to package. I was really, really pleased with it. I saw the final printed thing. You know. mm-hmm. Well, I, I actually, I actually loved the destroyer, and uh, I loved the, I loved the fact that the, uh, you know, the, that 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 the captain of the destroyer was dressed in, you know, dressed very much like uh, a pirate of that of that particular time frame, but was from another time frame. And it took me a little while to put those pieces together when I was reading it, you know. But it was um, it, it was it was actually a fun ride. Um, you know, the visuals were, were were really good. It's a cool thing, and and I was saying earlier, like part of the development process that was exciting to work with with Kev is you you know that the the pirate captain Martel. He's um, he's got. He's in in our minds, you know, in Rhonda, in my minds, he's embraced the the whole pirate uh, ethos, and uh, but yet he still has his you know Thompson submachine gun um, along with his you know his hat and his robe, and and Kev would in the development stage you know give us like a page of like you know six hats, you know, is he is it more like this? Is it more like does he have a, a you know does he have a, a a military helmet does he have this and it's just to see those things and to make those choices um 
is great fun. And those individual pieces, you know, really lend themselves to the characters. You know, it's, it's, it may be the surface, but it's all representative of that character's inner um, point of view, you know, that, that, the the terror that uh, a pirate can strike in the in the heart of an adversary, you know, and and to have the kind of uh, black coat and the sword, and it's just um, it really feeds into character when it's just words on a page. Um, it doesn't have the same impact as the words with the uh, the visuals and words and pictures. That's what we do. <laughs> Right. That's it. That's the that's the whole thing. Words and pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, uh, and it's a thrill. I keep saying the same thing, but I really, um, you know, as like an amateur or a child artist, you know, you know, seeing these things come to life. Um, it's just, you know, I have it in front of me. It's just um, I don't know. It's uh, it's exciting. And then for us, the, the technical things of having to find um you know, as a self-published mm-hmm. book, you know, to find um, a way to execute it. We had gone to several different um, uh, print-on-demand sort of companies and, like, you would get back a proof and it would, it would just look all washed out. You're like, oh, my God, we can't get this far in the process to have the end product just look like, you know, uh, something that's been photocopied. Um, and so there's a little experimentation there. To, to deliver um, on on the work that was in there and make sure that it got its proper due, and um, and that was also quite a chore, um, but worth worth the time, mm-hmm. you know, so that people get that. Well, I've got to admit to you, James, I'm also somewhat of an amateur artist. I won a lot of um, I won a lot of art competitions when I was in school and and, and stuff like that, but I never really developed it sort of thing it was um, always something that I did for me so when I when I look at when I look at comics and I look at the artwork I'm, I'm always so sort of like um, appreciative of it because I know how much time and, and effort goes in, in in into it so I'm not like one of these trollish reviewers that'll say oh this artwork was bloody awful or whatnot I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> usually I'll usually point out why I didn't like something and, and try and be constructive as opposed to sort of like Oh, you know, this guy can't draw for treacle or whatever, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> but it's just, um, you know, I just thought the art art style in this was really good. You know, it worked well with the with the characters. It, you know, it felt kind of cinematic, but it also felt a kind of a middle GI Joe sort of thing as well. It had elements of, um, you know, okay. like, I force. <laughs> Yeah, it felt like a, it felt like an a really really expensive animated film. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> you know, you kind of had a timeless song like nineteen eighties, early nineties quality to it of an expensive animated film. You know, yeah. with the with with the uh, with the drawing that and so on. Like it was, um, so I just um, I just just really enjoyed it, and um, I didn't I don't think I I actually you know, had the words to actually put put together what I was trying to trying to say say about the artwork in my actual review of the book either. Um uh, but moving it on a little bit, um one thing that you know one one of the things I did like, I love the plot device of the Bermuda Triangle and 
you know, having seen films in the past, like yourself, of, um, you know, The Final Countdown and and having seen the TV series back in the 70s, The Fantastic Journey, I don't know if any, anyone remembers that one, uh, with with uh, Malcolm McDowell and, um, you know, the, the guy that played uh, Scottish oh, nephew in Star Trek. Um, you know, I, I was quite excited to see something using the Bermuda Triangle again because, you know, it doesn't get used enough in fiction, I don't think. Um, but what, what I'd like to ask uh, you, you uh, James, was it always going to be the American Revolutionary War as your timeline? Um, that's a good question. Um, I think I think that was really... Um, well, I think it, Pirates was uh, an exciting genre for me. And I think uh, the, the, the era of the pirate and the era of the Revolutionary War, uh, the colonial times, it's sort of, you know, pirates are sort of fading away as, as that happens, but they're still around. There's a, the privateer concept and, uh, uh, you know, uh, sort of work for hire ships out there during that era, the colonial era here. Um, so I think it, they dovetailed into having a historic implication, you know, and a lot of time travel stories, you know, play with historic implications and, you know, the butterfly effect. And if you mess this up here, how will it um, affect down the line? And of course, there's a lot of paradoxes in any of those things. Um, I, at the very early outset of this uh, project, I did a lot of reading of, of the Bermuda Triangle and, and the, the stories of all the ships and the planes and the things that disappeared. And, you know, I, I sort of wanted to have some touchstones or, you know, you know, a lot of times you, you develop a story, an idea, and all this research has been done and it might not come out in the actual final uh, project, but you hope basically the underlying, uh, the, the foundation is there because of you having done that research. Um, but the, the Bermuda Triangle is fascinating. And, and I think you could take a lot of things. You can say, well, here's the likely explanation, but you're like, but is it, but could it, they never heard this again. These people disappeared and they said this strange thing. And there was this electrical, uh, you know, um, glow, you know, all these sorts of things you try to, take the reality or at least the perceived reality of these historical things uh, in the Bermuda Triangle and you try and adopt them to your story um, and then bring all these disparate elements together. Um, having a woman dressed uh, as a guy, um, there was a Deborah Lee Sampson is a real life historical character, if I remember the name correctly, um, who did that. Um, you know, on, on the mainland and was fighting in the American Revolution because that's the only way she could because she was a woman and the era was not accommodating. And so to take that idea and maybe part of the name and be able to drop it in your story is exciting. Um, in Bermuda, there was a real-life historical um, stealing of gunpowder from a stash there that got brought back to... Um, George Washington in uh, in in the I was going to say United States, but you know in uh, America, let's say at the time. And so you take a fictionalized version of that, and I think those things help ground the fantasy because you have these sort of historical fiction um, 
touchstones, elements that can give it some reality to your fantasy. Um, and so you know, having it in a historical time period, you get to grab a lot of those things. And, and also um, the fact that on such and such a date, you know, Ben Franklin is, is going to uh, France to get um, the, the help with the war. That's like a very real thing. And it's like, if that doesn't happen, then what happens? Yeah, I you know, actually, I, yeah, I, I love being able to absorb those things into uh, a, a, a fictional thing. Well, something I actually do whenever I see something on television that uses a real life person, uh, even whether it's a reference or whether they actually appear in the show. So it was a good show that was on a few years ago that got cancelled before its time called Timeless, which I quite enjoyed. Okay. <laughs> and you have a lot of uh, you know, historical people in that. Uh, but one of the things I do whenever whenever I read something with a character in that you know that's taken from history or see something on TV or a film is I'll quickly look it up on Wiki <laughs> to, to to check you know check whether whether it was real and and look where where potentially the creative license might have been taken sort of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I I enjoyed that, and he enjoyed the fact that you actually mentioned Ben Franklin going to France to uh, to to, to um, arrange the blockade to prevent the British ships from getting in, because had those British ships actually got gotten in, it probably would have been a whole different story. Um, yeah. You know, and that that's what I try to tell 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 Americans on on Independence Day as a bit of a wind up. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah, it's it's funny because that notion um, and the notion of I was Rhonda and I were just talking about this this morning. You know, you read this a lot. This is not an original uh, thought, but your villain, your antagonist, if he thinks he thinks he's the hero of his own story, and so we like the idea that Captain Martell to him is. I'm going to keep the empire together and we're going to keep peace in the world. Like the notion is he is ruthless and he's bloodthirsty, but he's thinking that doing this is going to be something that was going to prevent something like a Hitler or world war two, because we will control more of the world. Your villain thinks he's the good guy. And that makes like a better story, you Mm. know? He's just not crazy and mad with no grounding, you know. He felt he felt very much like a, um, a Nigel Farage type person, you know. <laughs> did the thing, and, you know, Nigel Farage here in the UK is very much uh, the person that that the Remain element of okay. the of the Brexit debate okay. throws fire and coal and rotten veg at. For being the uh, the main instigator of us when we leave the European Union, when it wasn't there, you know, he wasn't really because there was a whole there was like there was a whole over forty eight percent people that wanted to leave, you know, fifty two percent of people that wanted to leave the European Union. Um, yeah. It's kind of like uh, the Remain's fault that they lost because they just didn't turn up on the day. Because <laughs> there's more, yeah. you know, arguably there's more people that want to remain in your EU than there is leave. Or you know, sort of like they 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 either didn't turn up on the day, or they didn't take the vote particularly seriously. Uh, the the, yeah. the Remain campaign was absolutely pathetic because it was uh, run by two people that didn't truly believe in it. <laughs> and um, you know, that kind of it's interesting to be able to see um, 
see stories that resonate in certain aspects of real life and political life and dramatic life. And uh, what you're saying is sort of speaks to, uh, you know, some people that speak the loudest might get uh, the results they want, not because they represent the most people, but they make the most noise. Mm-hmm. And and that's what that's what it's felt like. Uh, I mean, it's, it's basically it's basically populism, as I say. That's that's basically what it is. It's people that are speaking the loudest and uh, and being the most outrageous at, at, at the end of the day. Yes. Um, it's uh, you know it's crazy, but Ma- Martel kind of put me in mind of that sort of character. You know. Excellent. Um. um so he he came with a you know pretty good character there. Did you did you have any other timelines in mind for for for, for the book? Uh, was it always going to be the revolutionary war? Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that was that was something that that we found to have a rich. Uh, I think it was very early embraced as as something that we would want to play mm-hmm. in because of the impact and the international aspects of it. You know, when you think about future stories, if there ever were to be them, you might be able to play in different time periods now moving forward. But but that was the one, yes, that we wanted to, that was the sandbox we wanted to play in. You know, you know another thing that uh, ben, ben and I also discussed a bit was the... Uh... Was was the was the science behind how you how, how your characters got back to the to the present day from, right. from the past, yeah. and I thought, okay, well, you know, at the end of the book, they did arrive back at the present day, but I was thinking, mm, was that actually the present day, as in the present day, or was it the present day, as in another dimension or something? Um. Yeah, I, uh, you know, what you're talking about, uh, you know, the, the end, you know, are they where you think they are or are they not? Wink, wink, tune in. <laughs> that is the exact kind of uh, question we'd like to have a little bit in the back of people's heads. They did it. Or did they? And actually, pull, pulling it back to uh, Flash Gordon from, uh, you know, Ming the Merciless is like the end of that movie. And then there was a question mark, right? It picks up yeah. the, the ring or something. Mm-hmm. Is the yeah. end actually the beginning of the next? Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the thing is, there's so much more that they could explore with Flash Gordon that they'd, that they'd never be able to do with one film. Um, yeah. Well, you know, that, that's why I was so disappointed in that 2009 TV series adaptation. It was just, you know... It was just cheap and rubbish and crap. <laughs> I think what's similar with like what what's similar with Flash Gordon, you know, get, sort of tying in to repeat myself, you know. But these guys in this book, like Flash Gordon, they've only got the wits to rely on. You know, they've just got ingenuity and sort of human guile. They don't have all right. They've got guns and stuff like that, and they're military trained, but they don't have like you know superpowers or laser beams or anything like that. They just have to. <laughs> You know, get on with it and um, and learn to work. I think, and they have to learn to work together as well. And that was another theme that was maybe underneath things, not quite as you know, it was an action adventure, but you know, there were sort of like worlds of examples. I thought of them sort of having to learn to sort of they're not going to get out there unless they band together, you know, and overcome the differences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, uh, I do think you know, uh, there's a lot of. Things uh, like uh, the Flint character, who's sort of the bully, sort of the macho uh, type A personality, you know, he wants to do good things, but his methodology of doing those same things is not, you know, what uh, 
you know, Davis, you're the lead, you know, more methodical or maybe more intellectual. Um, so it's an interesting conflict like you, you talk about. It's like, oh, I want I think we should if we want to get from A to B, we should do this. And it's like, I also want to get to B, but I think we should do this. You know, how do you how do you get there? How do you make that compromise? Um, so, yeah, thank you. I, I, I do think that is something that we were trying to get across is that different people might have different ideas about how to go about things and, and they're not going to succeed uh, unless they sort of uh, unite their vision to one uh, to one pursuit together. Mm -hmm. I guess it doesn't matter how big and tough you are. If, you, if the science dude dies, you've had it, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You might not be the super sort of um, macho personality, but without his brains, you're not getting out of there, you know? Absolutely, 100%. Protect the, the professor on Gilligan's Island. He's the most power, geek power, you know, the geek's real. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, you know, when when I was at college, for example, when I was in, like, the, uh, the, the contradiction, because um, I, was, I was actually a bit of a star athlete when I was in, 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 in college and school sort of thing, but I, I happened to be the jock with brains, which, which is, you know, just doesn't happen. <laughs> you are the unicorn, Ian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm the um, I, I'm the thing that all these politicians are chasing after. Okay. <laughs> the unicorn. Nice. The unicorn. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear me. Um. So, um. Looking, looking at the um at the film at, at the at the book um as as a film project. I mean, obviously, um, you wanted to do it as a film initially. Um, I'm just wondering what actors you could actually see playing the different roles and. Uh, and how, how do you think they, they, they go about doing it? I mean, That's funny. You know, um, I think, you know, a lot of writers like myself, uh, you know, sort of visualize certain people being in those roles. And then there's a lot of, you know, these days, like every hero in the MCU can be plugged into a, a lot of different um, stories, you know. I uh, But... Uh, back a long time ago, when the idea was first, you know, a little, a little tiny seed, you know, uh, Martel was a Richard Harris-like guy. He is no longer available, um, <laughs> so you have to find somebody new. Um, but uh, you know, I think about the guys that are already heroes. You know, if you're being realistic, if, if you ever did a movie, you know, of, of this magnitude, you know, somebody needs to be, um, I, I think they should be, you know, your 20s or 30s. And uh, who do I think? It's like I'm trying to think, you know, I could see uh, Captain America in there for sure. And being uh, Davis being the lead of, uh, of of this kind of a movie. Um, Chris Evans. You know, yeah. What's that? Chris Evans, I think he's called the... Uh... The Captain America. Yeah, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah, any of the Chris's I would I would take. I don't know how well uh, Chris Hemsworth does an American accent. I can't remember how he did in uh, in that Star Trek in the first Star Trek. But um, you know, those guys are good, and like we've talked about, they they have a charm and a likability, um, and that's key. That that goes a long way in, in making people embrace your story. If you have an actor that already exudes some. Uh, Likeability, so like Chris Evans is is appealing to me. You know, I, do, I think about Sebastian Stan as a little darker version. I mean, of course, he plays that darker version and uh, in in the MCU. But being someone who's maybe not as big uh, 
a, a role. He hasn't had as big uh, roles, but you know, I, I like him. He's got a little darkness. He has a little edge, and he also seems like he has a little um, twinkle, a little bit of a. He can be funny as well as serious. So, <laughs> yeah, I think we'll see him doing that bit more in um, Falcon and Winter Soldier from the trailer. You know, he looks yes. Yes, that's exactly that. This is the the kind of thing that appeals to me is is a sparring, um, you know, is like a classic style of your, you know, the two sparring cops kind of a thing, your lethal weapons and the like. And so I see that in in the Falcon the Winter Soldier, and I like that a lot in the trailer. I think thinking of it as a filmic thing, I think something that I meant to say earlier and it sort of went out of my mind is, um, I, I suppose like. Stargate is the natural film that comes to mind, you know, and, um, you know, that's the closest thing that I can think of in a way, and it's not that close to it, because it's very different, the Stargate technology, but I thought, and there is a dynamic between Kurt Russell and the science guy in that, and I can't remember his name in it, but there's definitely that dynamic going on between brains and brawn, you know? Yeah, the science yes. guy The science guy in Stargate in the movie was James Spader. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah, and, yeah. I'm sorry I'm good with my actor's name, so I have to get that in. Uh, but I was just thinking about uh, Martel, Captain Martel. I was thinking a good actor to have got for him, if you could have got, got a younger version of him, you know, would, would be Ian McShane. Because he's got that edginess. Okay. He's got that edginess and oh, danger yeah. to oh, him. <laughs> but he's also, yeah. got that, he's also got that, you know, that charm as well. Yes. So, you know, I, I, I think uh, Ian McShane would have been, been a good one. And... Um, and also, I think from 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 a visual point of view and an artistic point of view, Ian McShane's just got you know one of those faces that you just love to draw because it's just so full of character. Yeah, you know. It's just, yes. You know, I mean, British people love the body. Like, I'm not that mad on it myself, but generally, like Brits love maritime history. You know, like there's a lot of series like Sharp and Horatio Hornblower and all these sort of things. There's a rich history of literature to do with sort of piracies and, and naval tradition, you know? So I guess a, a, a British buddy is always uh, <laughs> a bit of a trope, isn't it, you know? Yeah, Ben, yeah. have you ever seen Sharp? Sharp was a bloody brilliant series. <laughs> Amazing, yeah. I mean, I've read yeah. books as well, but, um, you know, again, someone like Sean Bean, if he was younger now, but somebody like him in it, I could imagine maybe maybe someone like Michael Sheen as the buddy or somebody like that. I don't know, but I could, I could definitely picture a... Um, Joe Beans is playing a baddie in Snowpiercer. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's he's good because he's got, to me, he's got uh, the imposing. I don't, I don't know that Michael Sheen has the the physicality that I would look for, but I do think he's excellent. But but Sean yeah. Bean is, is, has the sort of presence uh, and size to be this sort of character. I'd, I'd like that. Yeah. If he's available, uh, I'm ready. Yeah, and younger Matt Shane has the presence and physicality to do it as well. Yeah. Um, but you know yeah. Sean Bean for sure um, and the, the the Welsh dude I can't remember his name uh, Michael Sheen oh, Michael the guy, the, guy, yeah. the guy who's in Fantastic Four no no I was thinking of, you know I was just uh, thinking about the guy you mentioned Michael Sheen I can't see him do, being Martel he's you know uh, James Wright he's not got the physicality to you know he, he doesn't really have much presence so I think that's why he can get away with playing Tony Blair and and, and all, all the different different characters, right? Um, yeah, but it doesn't really have the, the presence to pull off uh, pull off a proper proper evil bad guy. Like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you know, it's nothing like Timothy Dalton. I think Timothy Dalton was very underrated as Bond. Agreed. Yeah. I thought he was great. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, I just meant like traditionally. He sort of feel, he seems like quite Shakespearean Martel in this. You know, he seems not sort of quite. He naturally speaks more dramatically because it sounds more dramatic because he's from the 1700s. He's not from the 2000s. You know. Yeah. 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 We have. Uh, Go on, James. Yeah. I, Sometimes it's good to also have somebody play against type. I mean, it's certainly when Michael Keaton was Batman, it was like uh, he brought some unexpected presence that you wouldn't have typically expected him to do that role. And then he was fantastic. Mm. Really good Bruce Wayne too. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So I think, yeah. I think, think Michael Keaton's the only, the only actor that I've seen that was able to pull off both sides of that persona really well. Okay. Where, whereas I can see with, that. with the uh, with the more recent Batman Begins movies and that, you didn't really see enough of Bruce Wayne because he was he was yeah. suited up most of the time as Batman. So yeah, yeah. I can um, see that. But yeah, I mean, you know, I was, I was a bit, I was also a bit disappointed that um, oh, what's his name played Batman in Justice League and uh, Batman vs Superman. Uh, yeah. Henry Cavill. No, that that was the guy that played Superman. Oh, but I, oh no, I'm sorry. Are you talking about uh, Ben Affleck? Ben Affleck, sorry. I was disappointed yeah. that Ben Affleck didn't get his solo film. So I thought he, he, he would have been good and he would have made up for the dross that was Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, he could have uh, made up for it indeed. Yes. That's his penance. Mm-hmm. But he never got there. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not really, I'm not really being a big fan of the DC films, to be honest. I didn't like, the, the, I didn't like Man of Steel. I thought it was too dark. He was trying too hard to be Batman, and the same with the uh, same with Batman versus Superman. Same thing again. Uh, Justice League. It kind of went, you know, um, it was entertaining, but it just wasn't, you know, wasn't quite there. I don't think because obviously so so many changes uh, behind, um, and I'm kind of avoiding the Zack Snyder version because I'm basing basing my avoidance of that on. On, on the on the Superman and uh, the Batman versus Superman that he did, uh, mm. so I just I just didn't like the way that they went about rep, you know the characterization of Superman and and Clark Kent. It just didn't work for me. Yeah, you know? yeah, they haven't been able to figure out the formula as well there, um, excepting you know maybe the first Wonder Woman and things like that. But it's 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 tricky business. Yeah. It just reminds me of you saying the first Wonder Woman. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. yeah. Um, Chris Pine, I think, would be good in this because oh. uh, mentioned him in Star Trek, but he plays a very he plays that kind of role in Wonder Woman as Steve. He's an everyman, you know. He's yeah. relying on nothing. He, his heroism is 100 percent because he's just a guy, you know, who, who's a pilot. Yeah, I like Chris Pine a lot. That's uh, that's an excellent choice. Mm. Again, he's versatile and he can do bits of humor as well. You know, yeah. absolutely. I'm actually amazed that guy's still got hair based on his father in the 70s. <laughs> you know, because uh, Chris Pine's father was, a, he played the commanding officer in Chips, didn't he? You know? Oh, is that right? Yeah. That's Chris Pine's pa- father. Um, and, and And in Chips, his hair was thinning, and you, you see Chris Pine, he's got a full head of hair. You think, yeah. What's going on there? <laughs> nice. It's tricky, tricky hanging on. Yeah. Um, so, is there any plans for a sequel, do you think? Would you guys... For, for, for Blowback? For this? Yeah, for Blowback. Uh, I mean, honestly, it's, uh, it's a big, it was a big financial undertaking. Um, so it would, 
it would be hard to do soon uh, if we did it. So um, I would never say never, and we're still early on in terms of getting it out there and, and letting people know that it exists. You know, that's one of the trickier things to do um, and that you can't really control very well. And so if there's enough, uh, you know, positive feedback and uh, the sales can help rationalize that, I would love to do it. Um, but we need a lot of things to fall into place just right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it is, a, I mean, it has been a big undertaking for you because you say you, 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 the idea of it came about in the 90s, but when I first came aware of it was uh, back in, I think it was in 2018 when you told me an yeah. email about it because uh, yeah. at that time you was, uh, you was uh, looking for help pushing, pushing Asper, which was Rhonda's yeah. book. Um, yeah, which um, I can see the picture of it of it behind you. <laughs> yeah, that's behind me exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, if if there were if there were a sequel to it, you know, you got you got two two people that would buy it here in me and Ben. Um, oh, definitely, yeah, absolutely. You know, we'd definitely go see the movie as well. Excellent. <laughs> we're going to try and make all that happen for all of us. Kevin, mm -hmm. yeah, um, would you like to see this as a movie as well? We're gonna we're gonna get ready, roll out that red carpet for Kevin, uh, and we're all gonna have prime seats. Let's make that happen. Yeah, you could do it as a video game as well. That'll give Kevin more work. You know, <laughs> make him able to bring more more goals to try his life. Yeah. I like it. Um, but, you know, I'd just like to wrap up by thanking you guys for actually taking time out to do this with us. Um, it's been great having you on. And, um, you know, the best of luck with sales and blowback. We, we'll certainly be uh, trying to push it a little bit more for you. You guys are, are fantastic. Ian, you've been in our corner for a while there. We love Sci-Fi Pulse and we appreciate every bit of your time as well. And uh, I'm also a big fan of Cavs, so bravo. Uh, my good friend James Hearth and um, artist uh, Kev Hopgood um, and they've just released a, a comic book a graphic novel it's out now there uh, you can get it on Comixology it's also available on Amazon.com and Amazon.co.uk I think it's called Blowback and if you're into time travel and the Bermuda Triangle and you kind of like uh, that sort of like a uh, pulpy style action adventure sort of vibe then we, you know, both Ben and I, we highly recommend you, you, you go out and get it. Well, that's all we have for you today, folks. So um, without any, any more further ado, we'll, we'll be back at you again soon. Uh, so bye for now.